This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is focused on global Christianity and the training of ministers around the world. And I can't think of two better people to have to discuss this with than Michael Ortiz and Ramesh Richard, who are uh, colleagues of mine at the seminary and have been engaged globally for much of their ministry careers. And so this is uh, really uh, a joy to have you guys uh, with us, Michael. Ramesh, thank you for being a part of the table today. Honored to be here with you, Daryl. Yeah. Uh, And glad we can be colleagues in God's economy. Exactly. And so uh, let me just introduce you all. Um, uh, Michael, who I sometimes refer to as Miguel Ortiz, is um, vice president of global ministries. My joke for him is that he's vice president of the world and associate professor of missiology and intercultural ministries here at Dallas Theological Seminary. So thank you, Michael, for being a part of this. Thanks for having me, Daryl. Appreciate it. And Ramesh Richard is Professor of Global Theological Engagement and Pastoral Ministries at the seminary. And I think we've been on faculty just about the same amount of time, if I'm not mistaken, which means that we're both in our 40th year here, which is amazing to contemplate. But anyway, um, thank you, Ramesh, for being a part of this as well. Great honor, Daryl. Thank you. So let me open up, uh, Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, what's a nice guy like you doing in a gig like this when it comes to global ministry? And I'll be asking Ramesh the same question after you're done. Yeah, you know, the uh, the Lord, uh, some may know that I originally come from Florida. I have an, I'm an attorney by vocation, my background. And back in Florida, most of my ministry and missions had to do with work overseas in Latin America and especially Cuba. And especially in the area of theological education and trying to help the schools there in that part of the world to develop their programs and provide some leadership, provide some counsel and other things that I was able to do with those, the schools there. Eventually coming to Dallas Seminary to start working here in 2016, uh, starting their Spanish program, the Spanish master's level program here at Dallas Seminary, and also teaching out of the missions department and uh, then became department chair a couple of years ago for the Department of Mission, Missiology and Intercultural Ministries, and just about three weeks ago uh, being asked to, to move into a uh, vice president role for global ministries here at Dallas Seminary. So the Lord, uh, you know, the Lord over the years has continued to allow me to be engaged in theological education in, in a lot in Latin America and Cuba, but then also through another organization uh, being involved globally with uh, really uh, leaders in education, theological education from all regions of the world. So uh, that's trying to keep it as short as I can, Daryl. That's kind of how I ended up where I am 
today. Let me ask you one follow-up. Uh, talk a little bit about ISET, because I think that's the organization you were alluding to. Am I right about that? Yeah. Why yeah that's... Explain what ISET is, because it isn't a little piece of ice. And, yeah. then, uh, and then and then go from there and tell us uh, what, what they do. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm glad you asked. The ISET stands for the International Council for Evangelical Theological Education, founded back in 1980 out of the World Evangelical Alliance. In essence, what we do is we over, I serve as their director, their international director. We, in essence, oversee about a thousand schools worldwide um, connected to eight different regional accreditation agencies. So that's a lot of what I said does. I said also, however, provides services and support and things to add value to our schools worldwide and to our eight regional members. And on top of that, we really are are have been re- really successful over the years in leading consultations or global gatherings around theological education. So over the years, I said has had 17 global consultations. Uh, this year, because of COVID and some other things, we'll be doing something online, uh, Lord willing, leading us to an in-person consultation in 22. But the reason I mentioned that is because I set also serves as a major global hub for evangelical theological education where people come together from various streams, various sectors uh, to discuss what's going on globally in theological education and how might we be able to develop further community and collaboration points for the sake of the church through education. So that's a little bit of what we do within ISET. Okay. And Ramesh, same question to you. What's a nice guy like you doing in a gig like this? I carry two burdens on my heart, uh, one of which is evangelism. Began about 300 plus years ago, even though I don't look that old. (laughs) It was uh, because of two young men who came to southeastern India and brought the good news to my forefathers. And growing in a people-rich, culture-rich uh, country with uh, the disadvantage of the gospel not being heard, I carry a burden for evangelism. While that came from my heritage, the side that we're talking about today comes from the experience I had right after finishing up Dallas Seminary and moving to New Delhi, India to serve as a pastoral leader there. And I found that there were many, many currently serving pastors, not future pastoral leaders, but currently serving pastoral leaders who had little or no training for pastoral ministry. And that became intensified as the congregation that I was serving continued to grow. I could not be in two places at a given time, so we had to invest in younger people. And uh, as I became more aware of what is happening around the world. I saw a huge deficit between the trained and the untrained. With only 5% of all pastoral leaders trained for pastoral ministry, we thought we'll set out to reduce the deficit of the trained. And therefore, a part of my life's work with intentionality and um, great focus has been reducing the deficit, uh, Daryl. Okay, so tell us about tell us about Reach, which is an organization that you also work with. You each come with both Dallas connections and outside connections, so this is there's a nice balance to this. Yes, uh, 
when I came back to the seminary about 34 years ago for the second time, and our careers do run parallel, Daryl, uh, I came with the understanding that the seminary would allow me to continue my global footprint. The seminary would give me time, if not the resources to do it, to continue with those two burdens of evangelizing leaders and strengthening pastors. So we established REACH, and for 34 years, God, in his permission and faithfulness, has allowed me to do the same two things in about 100 countries or more. Strengthening pastoral leaders is the key because it is the key to the health of the church. Uh, what I'm doing is based on two convictions on the evangelism side that the gospel is not good news if it gets to anyone anywhere too late. And on the training side is built on the conviction that pastoral health affects church health and church health affects societal health. And with this massive gap between the trained and the undertrained and the isolated, we found out that we could do something urgently and large scale with intentionality again and follow up and documentation that would allow us to see where God is working in massive, wonderful ways and seeing all this to some extent being completed. I'm sorry for that alarm. Don't worry. No problem. Uh, so so let me ask you this question, Ramesh. Um, uh, I'm trying to think now. The, the global conference that we had in Thailand was in 2016. Do I have that year right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so talk a little bit about, about what that involved. And then, uh, Michael, I'm going to ask you kind of what you're envisioning, envisaging happening from the seminary side that in, in some degree is a, a part of and a response to the very need that the, um, that, that REACH um, addressed in Thailand in 2016. Dramesh? Great. Uh, I uh, identify five realities in the world today, each of which pose both need and opportunity. The first one is the sheer immensity of world population. So anything that we do needs to be scalable. The second is the world of the Christian faith. About a third of the world will have a census relationship with the Christian faith, but not all in the Lamb's Book of Life. So what can we do to help currently those in allegiance to the Lord Jesus? be a witness to the gospel in their spheres of influence, sort of a spreadability criterion. The third reality is the world of the church. There are many, many congregations being planted right now, up to five million of them, a million a year. But uh, they will say that 70% of those will fail within the first year. Hmm. So we've got to look at sustainability issues. The fourth is the issue of pastoral leaders. There are about 2.2 million pastoral leaders in the world, and some estimates are 3.4 million. And with only 5% that are trained for pastoral ministry, what could we do to have a speedability as a principle for operation and strategy? As you just heard our colleague, Dr. Michael Ortiz, say that about a thousand schools. If every one of those schools graduated pastoral leaders as every graduate, we'll be addressing the world need 
by 0.1% per year. So we're nowhere close uh, and we'll never catch up. With 50,000 new baptized believers every day, I usually say we need 1,000 new pastors every day. We're never going to catch up. So we need a speedability that is to be implemented. The fifth one is what I'm going to call pastoral trainers. Pastoral trainers. And uh, stackability is there something we can do in these two major cylinders of formal theological education, which Michael Ortiz specifically represents, and non-formal pastoral training, which is a huge industry grown and populated by those who are formally trained, to deliver on-site more relevant long-term and less expensive health for pastoral leaders. And so uh, the Lord has allowed REACH to undertake a 10-year human capital campaign in the last decade. We set out to reduce the deficit by 5%, that is 100,000 pastoral leaders. What you are uh, referring to, Daryl, I'm so grateful that you were present with us in Thailand. We had over 2,500 trainers of pastors from both sectors, non-formal and formal, coming together to see over eight days as to what can be done. The most incredible thing happened as a result of their commitments and reaches commitment to follow up and document rather than just pulling numbers off the sky, the exact activity and reports the Lord allowed us to get from all 248 states and nations and territories in the world. With the priority to 147 of them where the church was growing, the Lord has allowed us to document far beyond what we set out to do under budget and ahead of time. So having finished those 10 years, we're now looking at what the next 10 years might bring in his will. And we can talk about that in the latter part of uh, our podcast. So the idea here is to take people who have had some pastoral training and discipleship experience and turn them into people who will train others who couldn't come to a seminary, uh, are unable to come to a seminary and get formal training, and to give them some form of formal training. Is that is that the kind of basic goal? So we don't call it formal training, but we call it better training. We have seven basic areas which have been identified by topic, Trainers of Passes International Coalition, an organization that reached founded some years ago as the key recommended emphases and outputs for minimum viability of every pastoral leader anywhere. If they don't have that minimum uh, basic viability, then acceptability becomes a problem in terms of personal health, in terms of ministry health, as well as in terms of church health. So we are addressing those in a rapid format. We call it our fumble. Okay, well, Michael, while we're figuring out what's happened sure. to him, let me ask you kind of how the seminary deals with um, what the seminary prospects are and what they're trying to do. Uh, in terms of Dallas Seminary specifically? Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, as as in this new position as VP for Global Ministries, there's a, a few different initiatives that we're working on. But one of the main ones has to do with, you know, what, what do we do? What does Dallas Seminary do 
with all of our, our resources, not just financial, but personnel and, and literature and courses and online courses, all the things that we the Lord has allowed us to over the last hundred years really develop, uh, almost hundred years, how can we take all of that uh, and begin to do something about the lack of pastoral training that we know exists worldwide? You, you heard from, from uh, Ramesh a few minutes ago, he gave you some stats on on the global state of of of, uh, of affairs with pastors that don't have training, and that is true. And the church growth con- it continues. So the question is, what can we do about it? So right now, quite frankly, we are in this discovery phase. Uh, and in this discovery phase, I'm I'm speaking with a number of people, uh, including Ramesh and, and various others from different parts of the world, trying to really glean and understand, you know, what might it be that Dallas Seminary can do to help tackle some of this, some of the issues involving lack of pastoral training worldwide. Some of it could be collaborative. Some of it could be looking at the formal, non-formal sectors of theological education. How can they both come together in strategic, very specific ways to, to help in this issue? So there's a number of ways we can go about it. But right now, we're sort of trying to understand what might be the best lane for Dallas Seminary to take in this area. What I don't want to do, Daryl, here's here's a conviction I, I do have. What I don't want to do is simply create another program that is dished out to the majority world context primarily and, and have pastors receive more training online or anything like that. Uh, the gentleman that we, we know that has estimated by his estimates there are probably about 40,000 non-formal programs worldwide. Mm. I mean, that is a ton of stuff that's out there already. Uh, So do we really need to create more? I don't know yet. I don't have the answer to that. But here is my, my conviction is this. If we create something or if we deliver something, there must be some type of follow-up, coaching, discipleship, mentoring, something along those lines. Because a lot of these people, a lot of these pastors that are out there that would receive information and training online, it could be useful to them. But many of them really need someone to help them walk through it and live it out and help them on an almost day-to-day basis understand what does this look like to carry these teachings out within your context. And that's another, that's a whole other layer of theological education. It's not simply delivering information. It's helping to, it's walking with people to help them, help them learn how to live in accordance to what you're delivering to them. So it sounds like a huge challenge and one that requires not one organization, but one that, uh, that maybe helps coordinate people in the variety of activities that are, that, that are required in order to make things work. Uh, thanks very much for coming back in. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, the, the challenge is the, the, the size and scope of what is being talked about here and not just the creation of new programs, but trying to do, I, I guess, some coordination and cooperation that allows existing entities to work better together. Is that kind of, that could be, that could yeah, that could definitely be part of it, Daryl. That could be part of what we do. The idea is, is, is again, not just to simply deliver content, but to have people with the pastors that help them learn how to live in accordance with that content. And, and Ramesh has done some of this with REACH as well. Uh, one of the things that we could explore, for instance, are the, the thousand schools that I mentioned in ISS Network. 
I mean, how can we begin to mobilize some of them, maybe in partnership with non-formal programs, uh, maybe even some informal programs to begin to serve pastors in different regions of the world. And so there's a lot of work to be done, uh, but I think that we're moving in the right direction, for instance, with regard to REACH and other organizations, uh, both the formal, non-formal. We are excited about what's coming up with ISET in terms of this consultation, where the consultation theme for this next year is formal and non-formal theological education in dialogue. And so we hope to have a, a robust global um, uh, ongoing conversation over the next year, really, on this very topic and see how we can uh, facilitate and encourage the strategic partnerships around the world. You know, one of the challenges, this is for both of you, one of the challenges, of course, of someone who's not trained is, is that not only, not only do they have to wrestle with how do I pastor, which is, you know, one of the most basic things, but there's the content of what they teach in a context in which there's a lot of things being said under the Christian name or the Christian banner that may or may not be biblical. And so actually getting them adequately trained from a teaching standpoint is important. Ramesh, I'll let you lead off on this. You, you've, you've done a lot of training with a lot of people from around the world. Um, how great is that challenge? We believe that there are four basic areas of training that can significantly enhance both the trainer and the pastor. So here are the four. One is spiritual maturity, which has to do with character. They've got to live biblically. Secondly is effectual proclamation, which is to preach biblically. The issue that they sense is the biggest need because they have to get up and preach next weekend and they don't know mm -hmm. what to say. That's the biggest felt need. The ultimate need is, is uh, character, is living biblically. The third area, spiritual maturity, effective proclamation. The third area is theological discernment. This is so they can think biblically. They don't know the basic stuff about scripture and theology. So can we reinforce their evangelical convictions? Uh, a survey of the Bible. What do they know about the narrative of scripture and the themes and the stories? And the fourth area is what I'm going to call pastoral ministry in relationship to the congregations they have and relationship to the world that has dimensions of leadership, of evangelism, of counseling, of community social ministries, and so on. So if we can do uh, these four uh, in effective ways with a collection and curation of large numbers of resources that are already available, to deliver them in every possible means so they can learn it personally, either through mentoring or coaching, virtually, either through a learning system or, or management system that all of us know about. We're trying to find an ex excellent one, which is simple, which can be one step away from all of this uh, learning that's available. And if we can distribute them through the three major streams, the non-formal training, pastoral training organizations, the formal theological education institutions, and then the informal personal mentoring uh, streams. So we have the resource providers from whom content can be donated, purchased, or created, and the resource distributors, that is non-formal, formal, and informal distribution. In the center, we need a major 
diamond, a baseball diamond, sort of like a strategic butterfly, mm-hmm. a bank to, to hold all of this, a base in terms of mobility, delivery, tool base, bridges between non-formal, formal, and informal, which Michael and I were talking about as best as we can, so we can encourage, dignify one another, not be suspicious of one another, but also do it well. And finally, a very slender backbone for operations and administration. So it's a project of big size and complication, and uh, we're trusting that the Lord will help us all to be together in the next 10 years. Well, it is a massive undertaking and something that we all share a deep heart for, um, for seeing take place and, and, you know, and, and watching it um, develop is um, pretty exciting. Michael, uh, talk about um, how, how um, I guess I said in particular, you said they're opening up a dialogue in this regard. What are you hoping for from that dialogue? Yeah, a great question, Daryl. So, uh, so we hope that we will have uh, two days in November where we will be online and inviting different pe- different people from different parts of the world or regions of the world, both from the non-formal, non-formal, and informal, non-formal, and formal sectors of theological education. But we're also asking people that lead the churches and mission organizations to be part of the dialogue as well. In other words, for us as educators and those that are involved in theological education globally, we need to have we need to hear from the from voices that are, that represent the church itself and also missions organizations. So we will have um, those organiza- those representatives as well be part of the conversation. We hope to begin this in November over two days. We will then have three in three days in 2022 where we will have additional Zoom online meetings to further the conversation about what we can be doing in terms of building community and collaboration between the different sectors of theological education, listening to the church and missions again, so that we know what is actually going on on the ground and be able to help them be able to provide the resources, training, literature, whatever the case may be, that they really actually need. You know, some of us that have been involved in theological education for some time know that uh, the, the the academy is sometimes way over here, and the church is on then this other side. And sometimes the the academy has little knowledge of what the church actually needs. So we don't want to do that any longer. We like to have the the church be part of this conversation as well. So I said, you know, we are not an organization that is going to be doing the training ourselves. That's why I use the word hub. We're more of a hub organization. And within that hub, we hope to have all these different sectors and representatives of the church come together, build community, explore ways that they might strategically collaborate. And it could look different between uh, different organizations and different regions of the world. Um, We know it's a a big world out there, Daryl. There's a lot of places to to, to try to address and serve. And so we we are hoping that through ISET and serving as that kind of global hub for evangelical theological education, that we can facilitate those kind of conversations, uh, community building, collaboration, and real transformation within cultures. But again, it's going to be up to those that participate to actually carry it out. ISET itself is not going to be the one that's going to be carrying it out. Reach for instance, is going to play a big role in that. I know that. Uh, so we continue to to foster and try to facilitate those kind of 
gatherings and conversations and hopefully collaboration points. So I'm going to completely shift gears and, and ask a question that that um, you may not be prepared for, but I'll do the best I can to set it up. So someone's listening to this. They're just, uh, you know, they're either a pastor in a local church or just a light person who has an interest in the global church. And they're probably sitting there, well, this is all pretty interesting, but what can I do? What 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 role can I play in thinking about this and in, and in thinking about what it means for me to be a part of this church that's global, uh, transnational, et cetera. Um, what, what would you say to them? What would be what would be your word of encouragement to them as we as we work in this space? Uh, Ramesh, what would you what would you say? I mean, obviously, you've been communicating with people in that position for a long time and out of reach. So what would you say? This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Oh, did we lose him again? I think we, I think he froze again. Okay. Okay. Michael, go ahead and take your shot at this question. <laughs> sure. Hopefully we'll get him back. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I, I think that uh, what, what I would say to begin with is that, first of all, lots of prayer. Uh, the churches need to be, need to elevate this and make it part of their daily, uh, weekly prayer meetings and gatherings and, and topic of discussions. I think the pastors, those that are leading churches, they need to continue to be in tune with what's happening in the, in the world with the church. Uh, you know, this this whole issue of lack of the lack of pastoral training, and Ramesh touched on it a moment ago. Here, here's why we ought to all care about this, and that is that we believe that the Lord is going to return. Our Lord Christ is going to return. He's going to return for for God's people, the church. And when he returns, it is our present responsibility, I believe, from a biblical standpoint, it is our present responsibility to do all we can to ready the church for Christ's return. And so part of the way we do that is through pastoral training. As Ramesh mentioned earlier, up to 70% of new church plants have been have been indicated to, to fail within the first year. I mean, that's an awful statistic. I mean, that is telling you that the church is not sustainable because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, because the pastors are not prepared to lead the church. Some of us have said before, you know, that the, the pastor can only give away what he himself has. And if he doesn't have the correct biblical understanding, doctrinal positions and training, he can't give to his congregants what he does not own himself or have himself. So I think this is a crucial part of looking at the global church and saying, well, if we're going to be a people of the word, and we believe that the Lord Christ is going to return for his bride, pastoral training is a crucial element in getting the church ready for his return. Now, I'm not saying that's the only thing we could do. I mean, there are, there's all sorts of other great ministries available 
that local churches can get involved with and help the global church be ready for Christ's return. But Ramesh and I and various others of us, we're heavily involved with, with theological education and pastoral training. And we do believe this is, a, this is an essential part of getting the church ready. So local churches here in the United States or wherever they might be listening to this, I'd say pray, have your leadership look into it further, uh, contact us, contact others. Uh, there are ways that we can help you get mobilized and, and help, help you serve in different parts of the world. Uh, again, and it's not so much content. There is a lot of content out there already. But can we get local churches to maybe help not only deliver content, but help people live in accordance with the content that's being delivered? Because if we can do that, I believe that pastoral leaders themselves will be more ready for Christ's return and if they are more ready for Christ's return, hopefully the church will be as well. So, Ramesh, uh, question for you on this. Um, uh, what would you say to the average person listening? How can I contribute to, um, to this concern that we've expressed in this reality that is part of the challenge of the church currently? Uh, I think Michael uh, set the stage for it in terms of churches and I really uh, think we should just raise the profile of training pastors as a very high priority in global ministry strategy and missions portfolios so that every congregation, every organization has as part of, of its overall thrust uh, the training of pastors. If you notice, anywhere we go, even to dig wells, you go to the pastor to find out where to dig wells. To plant churches, you go to the pastor locally to find out where to plant churches. You want to show Jesus films, you go to the pastor to find out where to show Jesus films. So somehow God, in his, his strategic thought, decided that the pastoral leader is the key role in both the extensional side of the ministry and the foundational side of the ministry. I would like to invite all those who know and love and believe and follow the Lord Jesus to think through this as a uh, heightening of what can be of local, on-site, relevant, most applicable, uh, less expensive, but also longer-term ministry across the whole world. All of us have been watching uh, the recent developments in the Middle East, wars coming to an end, while anybody who's working for Christ in these areas has had to leave because of earthquakes or some natural disaster. The past leaders stay. They're there even right now in one country of the world where wars have temporarily seized or at least pulled out from which we pulled out. Uh, when I was there, there were only 10 known believers in the whole country. Hmm. None of those know the, knew the other person for security reasons, not one. There are now about 2,000 believers in that country. They will not be getting back, leaving the country. They have to stay. They'll be significantly targeted and if not martyred. 
What can we do for them? They meet in small communities. They are faith communities inside. And somebody there is the point person, the shepherd leader of that particular congregation. What can we do for them? Hmm. So, um, Well, thank you, Ramesh, uh, for um, for helping us with this and helping us think through this. Thank you as well, Michael, for this. Sorry for the um, disruptions that we had along the way, but sometimes uh, that's the way things go. Uh, I think well, we've in, in a way it does uh, contextualize our our <laughs> podcast to the world. I mean, this does happen in various different places as well, right? <laughs> exactly right. I was just, yeah, it's just that's exactly where I was going yeah. next. Is yeah. is um, it, it it gives a little sneak preview of sometimes the way technology works in lots of parts of the world. Exactly. And, and the limitations that you're that you're dealing with and attempting to do this. And as Bill Hendricks likes to say from the center, uh, technology is great when it works. <laughs> and so uh, that's right. Uh, we'll, that's right. We'll do the best that we can with that. And so um, I'm, I'm going to sign off for now, but uh, we're going to. We're going to hold on and do the the one minute thing on the okay. other end when Ramesh comes back, and Sounds hopefully, good. if we keep it short enough, we'll prevent another one another outage from taking place. Um, but I want to thank you, Michael, for taking the time to do this and to get people kind of aware of what's going on. And uh, we really do hope that um, giving people a glimpse of the nature, probably one of the greatest challenges that currently faces the church right now at a global level, is this issue. There's probably very few things that that are uh, on that are more important than this. So, um, so we thank you for taking the time to do this with us. Absolutely, uh, Daryl, and thank you for having us, and thank you for for leading uh, leading in this way and and helping people be aware of this issue. I think you're absolutely right. This is one, this is the the biggest issue right now globally with the church, and um, and so I, I applaud you and those at the table and the Hendrick Center for what you guys are doing. Thank well, you. Thank you very much. Ramesh, we were just signing off. I'm, I'm sorry that we had the difficulty. We were commenting while you were away that this is actually how much of the world has to function a lot of times, that the technology isn't always as clean as you might yeah. want it to be. And so yeah. giving a little glimpse of the way the world sometimes right. works may not be a bad thing. And COVID is teaching us to be flexible and, and uh, make strategic adjustments. I am asking um, Daryl and, and Michael has heard this already. Uh, if over the course of a year, if every trainer trains just one pastor for 10 years, that makes 10 pastors. If every pastor would train one leader, develop one leader, that makes 100 leaders over 10 years. If every leader will equip one believer a year, just one believer over 10 years, that makes for 1,000 believers. And every believer reaches only one person, family, friends, just one person a year over 10 years. That makes for 10,000 people blessed and reached. And so if we increase the number of trainers or pastors, guess what? We increase the number of people who are reached. Even pastoral training is not for the sake of pastoral training. Theological education is not for the sake of theological education. It's for the sake of the final commission of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, and we're deeply committed to the combination of, of reaching out and doing the Great Commission, which is to go into the world and make disciples. I tease people, the Great Commission is not going to the church and make disciples. It's going right. to the world and make disciples. Right. And, then, and then, of course, when that happens, 
uh, not only are you getting evangelism, but you're also getting discipleship at the same time, and the church is completing the loop of what it is the Great Commission calls us to do. So appreciate that exhortation, Ramesh. Um, thank you guys for helping us with this. And I just want to say to our listeners, thank you for listening to the table and hope you'll listen to us again soon. If you've enjoyed this podcast and are interested, please feel free to subscribe to us at voice DTS slash table podcast. And we um, look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for listening to the table podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.